1: to the helper, the comforter. The one, if he goes to the Father, he's going to pray that the Father would send. He's going to tell them that. He's coming. And that's where your power will be. That's where the power is. They will not be left as orphans. Once he ascends to the Father, he's going to send them the power source. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the apostles worked miracles among the people. Folks, that same power is available today. The
0: same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. As believers, we journey through this world against the current. It's a challenge full of suffering and discomfort, but we aren't left to do it alone. As we'll be reminded in today's message from Pastor Dave, when Jesus returned to heaven, he sent a helper in the form of the Holy Spirit who works in and through us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 14 as he begins his message, The Privilege of Prayer.
1: You are sure. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. The apostle writes this Jesus is speaking, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Have you ever really thought about or considered the privilege that has been given to us to come into the presence of Almighty God? To come into the presence of the Creator of the universe? To to come into His presence and talk with Him? Have you ever really thought about that privilege? To me, it's staggering, to say the least, that me, Sinful man, through the blood of Jesus Christ, would have an opportunity, the scripture says, to go boldly into the throne room of grace, seek mercy in time of need. Think about that. Boldly doesn't mean I come proudly and arrogantly, like deserve something. Boldly simply means I come in awe, in respect, in reverence. I don't come presumptuously, but I come seeking Him. I come humbly and reverence, respect, and all. Boldly means I can come constantly. Constantly coming into the throne room. I'm not given just one time a day or, or one time a month or whatever. I can come constantly into the throne room. Boldly means I can come without reservation. Not only do I have to reserve my spot, it's already reserved in heaven through Jesus Christ. But I can come without any hesitation or reservation, thinking, boy, should I go or shouldn't I go? When God is telling us, come, come. Boldly means I can come freely. I don't have to come with fancy words. Oh, most gracious, heavenly Father. I don't have to come with fancy, glorious words. I can just come as I am, with the words I have, with the vernacular I use, and say, Lord... Here I am, your servant. Help me. Boldly means I can come with confidence. Boldly means I can come with persistence. I know I've asked you this 567,000 times, Lord, but I need to ask you 567,001. Think about that. I mean, take a Selah moment and think about the privilege we have in prayer, what God has given us. And then once you get past that, what's even more incredible is that we come and we speak to him, he listens. He hears you when you speak to him, when you call upon his name. He listens to us and he hears us. God wants us to come and speak to him. He wants us to cast all our cares on him because of his great love and care that he has for each of us. Many times when I speak to people, they don't (laughs) listen to me. And I have to be honest, sometimes when they speak to me, I don't listen to them either. But I am most confident that when I speak to God, he hears me. He hears me when I cry out to him. And folks, it gets even better than that. Not not only does he hear me when I call, but he answers me. He answers me in ways that I have never dreamed of. He answered me in ways that I couldn't even imagine how he would answer. He has promised to help me. He's promised to guide me. He's promised to provide for me. He's promised to never leave nor forsake me. And in today's verses, he's promised to do anything that I may ask, I may ask if I ask in faith, believing. If I ask believing in him. This is nothing more than amazing to me that God has allowed me this great privilege. It is amazing to me. Any time of the day, any time of the night, I can open up my heart to him. He is always readily available. Sadly, many of us don't take advantage of this privilege. Many of us don't take advantage of this privilege. Many of us come only in times of great need. Should we pray? Has it come to that? Instead of our first resort, it becomes our last resort. Scripture says we have not because we ask not. What's even sadder, in my opinion, is many take this privilege and treat it as a religious work, something they must do. And then they believe that after they've prayed a time, they expect a merit badge. Well, I prayed an hour. How come you didn't answer my prayer? They expect that all of a sudden, they're going to be rewarded for their effort. Prayer should never be looked at as a chore. Prayer should never be looked at as a chore. It should be looked at as a means of communication with God, a means of communication with your Creator. Prayer is a means of fellowship with the Father, which is one thing you were saved for. You were saved to have fellowship with Him. Our sin blocked our fellowship with Him. We couldn't come to Him because of our sin. Jesus has set us free from that slavery of sin, and now we have fellowship with the Father. We receive this by his blood. Someone once said, quote, Prayer comes from not gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. I like that. God loves me so much that he has given me this incredible privilege, a privilege that I should not take lightly. This is what Jesus is explaining to his disciples. And as we have been studying, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for a world without him physically. He had told them that he was leaving. He was going back to the Father. And now they were extremely upset and full of grief. Their minds were concerned about what would happen to them. What's going to happen to us if you leave? They were afraid. He had been their support. They relied on him for every single thing you can think of. And now they're going to be left alone, so they thought. And they would be easy prey to those who were persecuting Jesus. They would be easy prey, they thought. So they were fearful. So Jesus is trying to calm them down. He's trying to quell their fear and he asked them to believe in him, to have faith in him so their hearts wouldn't be troubled. He told them, I'm coming back. I'll come back to get you. He was telling his disciples that in addition to the hope of an eternity in heaven with him and the Father, in addition to understanding the nature of the Father, which, by the way, Jesus revealed perfectly, in addition to those things, You've been given this great privilege of prayer, that you can speak to us at any time you want. So this is where we pick up this morning. Believe it or not, Jesus is still answering Philip when Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus is still in that mode of answering Philip. We studied that for the last several weeks. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you not believe that I and the Father are one? He is in me and I am in him the words I speak are not my own. The works I do are not my own. And then he commanded them to believe upon him only for the words or the works, but they were to believe upon him, cling to, trust, hope in him. And then he makes another remarkable statement that those who would believe upon him would do works that he did and even greater works because he's going to the father. Look at verse 12. Moses, surely I say to you, he who believes in me. And i got to stop there for a minute. Notice it said, he who believes in me. This entire little passage is based on those who believe in Jesus. That's the key, believing in Jesus, this entire passage. So he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. As I said, Jesus is trying to relieve the fear of the disciples. Yes, I'm leaving. But as one commentator said, Disciples, you haven't been fired. Your work is going to continue. It's going to continue on in a different way. In fact, it's going to be so much better. You're going to not only do the things that I've done and you've seen me do, but you're going to do even greater than these. Wow. Not only would the work continue, but you're going to do greater. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Now, he's setting them up for the Holy Spirit. You can see it coming. He's setting them up for the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he had been encouraging their faith all along. And he continues to tell them, believe in me. Remember what the word believe in him means? It means to cling to, to trust in, to put all your faith in, to put all your hope in, to rely on him. Why? Because of the words you've heard and the works you've seen. I think John, in my opinion, got this better than any of them. I think John got this better than any of them because he writes in his first epistle, in 1 John, the very first three verses. Let me read them to you. Listen to what John's saying in the very first verses of his epistle. John writes this, John 1, 1 to 3. One John, 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, that which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, and that truly also you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you hear his words? He understood this. He knew that when he looked at Jesus, he saw God. He knew that when he heard from Jesus, he heard God. He knew that when he touched Jesus, he was touching God. John had this down. He knew this. And I just love that passage. I just really, really love that passage. He realized this. He knew this. He knew it better than them all. But Jesus was telling his disciples that, hey, if you walk by faith, believing, trusting in the oneness that I have with the Father... There's going to be great rewards. You're going to do works greater, greater than what you've seen me do. Now, first of all, what does greater mean? Well, Guzik, the Calvary Chapel theologian who we love to quote, says this, quote, Jesus did not mean greater in this sense of more sensational, but greater in magnitude. He goes on to say, Jesus would leave behind a victorious working family of followers who would spread his kingdom to more people and places than Jesus ever did in his entire life of ministry. In fact, one commentator I read said that when the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel message to those that were listening and 3,000 came to know Christ, that was more than that we're saved than at any time during Jesus' three years' ministry. So Peter was already doing greater works. He was already doing greater things. But we need to look at something here. I kind of jumped the gun by saying Peter, we need to look at something. Who was Jesus talking to? He wasn't standing on the mountain talking to the multitude. You're gonna do greater works. He wasn't standing there talking to them. He was talking to who? The 11 that were left in the room. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the inner circle. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said one of the qualifications for discipleship or apostle was signs and wonders. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Now, before we jump to conclusions that are unscriptural, you must note that there were miracles done by others in the book of Acts. Stephen, Stephen did great signs and wonders. Others did great signs and wonders. In the book of Acts, we need to find that indeed, works that were done were Jesus. What did they do? The lame walked, the deaf heard, the dead were raised in Christ. So the question remains that we have to ask ourselves, are the days of miracles over? Have the days of miracles ended with the apostolic age? I see nothing in Scripture that would support that. I see absolutely nothing in Scripture that would support the fact that the death of the last apostle would bring the ends of the miraculous works of Jesus. In fact, just the opposite is true. History of the church reports miracles that were done from time to time. Miracles that had happened. And even today, we've had scattered miracles throughout our lives. The fact that we do not see evidence of them doesn't necessarily mean that they don't happen anymore. So let me ask you another question. Where is the problem? Don't say God, because our problem's not with God. The problem's with us. The problem is with us. Why do I say that? Has God changed? No. As God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said The hand of the Lord is not short that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. In Isaiah's days, they thought and they blamed God for his lack of demonstration of miracles. It's not God's fault, gang. In the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, you see man being used by God to work miracles, to do all sorts of things. As we continue in the book of 1 Kings on Wednesday night, we're going to come to a man by the name of Elijah, and we're going to see all the really cool things that he did in the name of the Lord. It's really exciting. The Lord hasn't changed. Folks, if you've been here at Calvary Chapel Cape May in some of our prayer sessions and seen it bring around You have seen miracles. We've had healing. We've seen people get healed miraculously. We've seen things happen unexpectedly. We've had those type of things happen, and it's been glorious. It's been wonderful. We will be foolish to deny the power of God. But I have to confess, I don't see anyone truly doing the works of Christ on a consistent thing. Why do you think that is? Someone said that it might be our materialistic society. Too many things. We can't see the special work of God. It could be possibly that there's no one that God would trust with the gifts. It might be that. I don't know. He knows the pride that's in our hearts. And he knows that if we had a certain gift, we might boast about it. I mean, if we saw someone get healed, were we automatically going to have a healing service and stand up to the fact and say, be healed? I don't know. Or would we run into the hospital and heal everybody in the hospital? That would be great. That would be wonderful. But I believe in healing. I believe the Holy Spirit heals. I believe that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's prevalent today. But how many people, Christians, Christian leaders, Christian men, women, have taken upon themselves to use this for illegal and illicit gain? How many? Why were we told that we were going to do greater works? Why did Jesus say, you're going to do greater works than me? Because I'm going to the Father. What is it about going to the Father that means we will be doing created works? Well, next week, when we get to 15, 15, 16, 17, and 18, Jesus is going to introduce us to the third part of the Trinity. He's going to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity, he's going to introduce us to the helper, the comforter. The one, if he goes to the Father, he's going to pray that the Father would send. He's going to tell them that. He's coming. And that's where your power will be. That's where the power is. They will not be left as orphans. Once he ascends to the Father, he's going to send them the power sword. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the apostles worked miracles among the people. Folks, that same power is available today. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. And that power of the Holy Spirit is available today to keep those works moving. But we ask amiss. But we ask wrongly. As we look at verses 13 and 14, Jesus is going to explain this beautiful privilege of prayer. Let's read. And remember, he who believes is going to do greater works than me because they go to the Father. And, talking about the believer... Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified to the, in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus tells us that by prayer we can walk in victory, the victory that he purchased for us on the cross. We can walk in Jesus as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Total one with the Father. We can walk total one with Jesus Total one with the Father, and in total oneness with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to pray for that in chapter 17, when he prays for us, that we would be one. Total oneness. Then we will have victory. But our prayers are limited by the whatever. And now remember, it's not the whatever. It's whatever you pray for, whatever you ask. These things are revealed to us where? In God's word. The whatevers are revealed to us in God's word. How about the anything? It's revealed to us in God's word. What does Paul say in Ephesians 3? I love this in Ephesians 3, and many many of you can quote it, and many of you quote it to me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power that works in us is what? The Holy Spirit. But he's not giving us carte blanche. The controlling element is what? What is the controlling element here? In my name. So, oh Lord, please give me that beautiful Lamborghini that I wanted. And I pray this in Jesus' name. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. Why? Because we have to know God's name. We have to know his nature. We have to know what he is, who he is, what he wants to do. God answers prayer to honor his name. Therefore, prayer must be in his will. Prayer is not conforming God to our will. It's conforming us to his will. Perfect example. Come on, what's the perfect example? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he pray? Lord, Lord. Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. We pray in the will of God. When it comes to prayer, no request is out of line, provided that it's God's will. Look at 1 John again in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Listen to what again the apostle says. Now this is the, in 1 John 5, 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, the purpose of prayer, the secret power of prayer is to ask those things which are in God's will. Someone shout out to me the perfect will of God. According to Scripture, yeah, that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus, that all would come to repentance, that none would perish. That's the perfect will of God. That's the perfect will of God. You are assured
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of A Sure Hope.